You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, welcome back to uh, the second episode in this season of Proof Text. Michael is here, Dr. Michael Halcombe, and I'm uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Fred Long, and uh, we're co-owners and co-founders of Glossa House, which is sponsoring this podcast. And um, Michael, why don't you just explain what you meant? You came up with this fabulous title for a podcast of Proved Text. Yeah, so Proved Text is basically a, a satirical or ironic sort of play on word or play on words of uh Proof text, which is a term that biblical scholars often use. A proof text is when you go to scripture and you sort of yank a verse or a passage out of context to make it mean what you want it to mean. And uh, you're using it as proof of that. So we call that proof texting. It's sort of a negative thing. And uh, our play on words with that was, Prove text where we're prove with a V. Yeah, where we're doing quite the opposite is uh, we're going to the text or whatever, and we're we're attempting to offer some substantial proof proofs or insight and and prove uh, the point of what we're saying rather than ripping it out of context, keeping it in context. And of course, all of us are have been shaped by previous uh, men and women who've uh, taught us and written excellent books. And so the focus of this episode is going to be talking and sharing about the three or four books that were turning points in our faith journey, uh, books that Mm -hmm. just made a huge impact on us. And so, Michael, I'd like to start with you. What, What three or four books had that kind of role in your formation as as a, a student of scripture. Yeah, that's great. I, I kind of refer to myself. There, there was a point uh, I started referring to myself or thinking of myself as a, a churchman scholar. And um, that I, I think it's important because it reminds me that the church preceded the academy uh, in terms of my faith development. And just in terms of my allegiance the church comes first and mm-hmm. uh, you know um, I've I've made a, a sort of living or a career however you want to put it out of creating resources that equip the church to think more deeply about her faith to to find deeper joy in in the Lord and uh, to, to go deeper so I'm a churchman scholar, and so uh, some of these works that have shaped me, uh, I think, exhibit those kinds of qualities, the, the, the kinds of writer that I want to be, or um, doing similar things to what I want to do. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with one, um, one of these uh, books that was a turning point for me was it's called a social scientific uh, commentary on the synoptic gospels. It's kind of a mouthful, but it was co-authored by uh, 
a scholar um, named Bruce Molina and another scholar named Richard Rohrbaugh. And I remember um, I was in the, the basement bookstore at Lexington, of the, Lexington Theological Seminary. They were having this massive uh, book sale. And um, I came across these social scientific commentaries, that one in particular, and I picked it up. And I, I remember distinctly, like vividly right now, just grabbing it and sitting there on the floor of the, the bookstore while all these other people were walking around shopping and just just thumbing through this thing and reading it page after page after page. Mm-hmm. And what, what the book was doing was putting uh, scripture in its social context. And so it was introducing me to these sort of new filters or lenses through which to see scripture. So I started seeing things that I had never seen before. Just in a few minutes of sitting there, things like um, like honor-shame dynamics or kinship dynamics, purity dynamics, uh, things like the evil eye. And boy, that was a, it was just a monumental moment for me in my life as a young, a young believer and a young scholar. And it was a big turning point for me. And uh, a lot of my own career is focused on looking at the, the social context and using the social scientific tools to do that, uh, you know, when, when approaching scripture. So that's one for me that, yeah, that, that was really, really pivotal. Yeah. Yeah, that, social, that social context is, yeah, and I see that in your, your work, even your dissertation work was right, looking at kind of social, like a social model uh, right. to look at the Apostle Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to develop a, a social model or social scientific model of Paul as a change agent. What, what does that term mean and um, what did it mean? What did it look like for Paul to be a change agent? Yeah, that, that, that that's published with Glossa House. That dissertate your dissertation, so people yeah. can see that work, see that influence, and read about it in your dissertation. Yeah, yeah, um, got a lot of great books in that series, by the way, and and some more coming coming down the pipeline, which we're excited about. Let me give another one, and then I'll I'll, I'll toss the football to you. Maybe we'll bounce back and forth here. Um, Another one for me was um, a book I was assigned in my very first semester of seminary. I think it was my Master of Divinity work. It was um, by, by a Jewish fellow. His name was uh, Norman Cohen. Uh, it was titled Self, Struggle, and Change. And, and the subtitle of that book was Family Conflict Stories in Genesis and Their Healing Insights for Our Lives. And... Uh, Boy, when I when I first read this book, it, w- it was a little uh, a little bit out there for me. But the the book since 2003, when I when I first encountered it or so, has just stuck with me. Like over all these years, um, nearly two decades now, and I return to it again and again and again. And I've just finished up a a book on Genesis that's forthcoming with Glossa House, and uh, I, I consulted this work repeatedly. Um, sort of a base text for me and uh, it it opened my eyes to genesis in a way that that i had never ever seen before 
And um, so I, I, I try in, in my forthcoming work to, to take this sort of one more step and uh, build on it from a, a distinctly Christian perspective. So it was a, another sort of tipping point book for me. And one more. How about one more, right? Yeah, I'll give you one more. Um, uh, another one. Uh, let's see. Uh, man, there's so many. How about... Um, I could talk about David Miller's friendship with Jesus. I, I spent a large portion of my career uh, presenting papers on the Gospel of Mark at conferences, um, publishing things on the Gospel of Mark, preaching and teaching in the church on the Gospel of Mark, blogging through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and at one point I had over, uh, I had nearly 300 books and commentaries on the Gospel of Mark in my personal library. When we moved to Hawaii, I had to get rid of most of those. But one of the, the books that has, has stuck with me was different than all of those other nearly 300 books I had on Mark was uh, Miller's Friendship with Jesus. And the subtitle of that was A Way to Pray the Gospel of Mark. So this book is, is firmly rooted in the um, uh, Lectio Divina tradition or um, Ignatian uh, spirituality, as it's often uh, described, uh, Saint Loyola of Ignatius was a, a 16th century Jesuit, and um, one of the things that he practiced was uh, lectio divina. And so, again, this this book on the Gospel of Mark it actually has great bearing on the forthcoming work of Genesis um, that I, I've been working on, where uh, it's inviting. It's the subtitle of my book is a guided lectio divina. That's guiding uh, people through Genesis uh, using the the practice of lectio divina, or what I, I might even call narratio divina. Uh, lectio divina has this sense of divine conversation. So we're entering into this prayer and this text to speak with God and to let God speak to us. And narratio divina uh, is is entering into the story. Uh, even as an actor where we can encounter God as a character and we can converse with God and see God and, 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 and hear from God as well. So um, that's another book that's been really foundational for me in my own, uh, my, my own faith journey. Yeah. Um, thanks so much. We're going to hear from our sponsor, Glossa House, and then we'll return after that. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glossa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit glossahouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glossa House, language resources for the global community. Welcome back. Uh, topic for today's episode podcast is what three or four books have influenced you, particularly uh, in terms of your journey, your faith journey along the way. Yeah. So and what my, do you have? Yeah. My, my three or four books, um, and I'm going to limit it to kind of theological uh seminary type books. 
I mean, I could talk about Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. Uh, that, that had an influence on me before I came to seminary. But seminary and subsequently, in terms of biblical studies, the first one is by the German theologian Helmut Tilke, and he was a lecturer, uh, rector at Hamburg. Um, but he has this book uh, called A Little Exercise for Young Theologians. And I can't remember which of my seminary professors recommended it or required it, probably Dr. Bob Lyon, I'm suspecting. But this little book just talked about the virtue of humility and love and how we as scholars, you know, and, and would-be scholars and, and theologians, how we have a tremendous responsibility. Um, in fact, in his book, here's one quote, he says, truth seduces us very easily into a kind of joy of possession. I have comprehended mm. this and that, learned it, understood it. Knowledge is power. I am therefore more than the other man who does not know this and that. Mm. I have greater possibilities and also greater temptations. Anyone who deals with truth, as we theologians certainly do, succumbs all too easily to the psychology of the possessor. Mm. But love is the opposite of the will to possess. It is self-giving. It boasts not in not itself, but humbleth itself. Mm. Wow. So this, it's a little book and I would recommend it really for anyone who's endeavoring and just starting out on a journey uh, because there is so much arrogance and presumption yes. and uh, in, in our scholarly guild, in our mm. endeavors. And it, it, it creeps into all of us. We all self-promote. We all, you know, brag a little bit about this or that. We're tempted to do those kinds of things. And Yet if we're followers of Christ, we're called to a different standard and a kind of humility. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not confident and, and, and bold, but it does mean that we should check our pride, that we should, even if we rigorously disagree with people, which we certainly will and should, that we do so with a different kind of spirit, not to demean and destroy the other person, but to enter into a a dialogue and conversation and to speak earnestly and to speak, speak the truth in love, as Paul says in Ephesians. So that book had a an initial impact on me. Along it it the makes way, me think, I'll, I'll yeah. chime in. It makes me think like um, I, I was leading a class session several weeks ago and I was talking about Wesleyan theology um, to this, this group of students and um and one of the, I was dealing with some pretty heavy concepts and one of the, one of the students, an older student had remarked like, wow, this is, this is kind of just, this is, this is tough. It's, it's, it feels like it's maybe a little over my head. I, mm. you know, I don't, I don't know that I should do this theology stuff. And mm. I was, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was a little perturbed by the statement because, uh, <laughs> Um, I, I don't like when people sort of like try to pit pit theology against like practicality or, or theology against life or theology against praxis, however you want to put it, um, and sort of like throw their hands up in the air, like or wave the flag when when the word theology is spoken. 
all of a sudden. And, you know, I, I just took a moment to remind that, that student and everyone that like, look, theology, the study or the talk of God is meant not, not to make us sound smarter or just to use big words. These big words and these concepts, all they're doing after all is helping us understand God clearly and explain what we're thinking about God more clearly. But really the, the task and the end goal of theology, right, is, is to produce a deeper joy and, as you said, love in yeah. each of us as it addresses our deepest longings. I, I think that's, yeah. that's what it's doing. Yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, I, 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 I resonate with the, the concern, you know, that he yeah, has. Right. I think it was pretty awesome that he, like, could articulate that. Um, but but, but I, I hear it way, way too often. And I taught at an institution at one point that, that was really very cautious and stiff-armed uh, education. And, and mm. that's not the solution either to just right. you know, avoid it. Um, and, and so there's a lot of insecurities that church leaders sometimes have of, of education, but there's also pessimism and concern because there are people, plenty of people who go to li more liberal places and lose their faith, literally lose their faith. Right, right. Uh, you know, uh, Bart Ehrman is a pretty famous example of someone who was raised very fundamental, uh, but then went and did advanced studies and just became so skeptical. Um, but does that mean that he's completely lost? Well, I don't, I don't know, but it, he, he certainly acts like it now, but, but on the other hand, he's, you know, some of his critiques of, of Christian responses, you know, we need, we need to listen to, to them, but right. uh, he can be pretty rabid at times. And so, uh, and scandalizes people's faith, you know, with books, very popular books. Mm -hmm. So, but if we don't go toe to toe with him, then, then there's, you know, then there's a problem. So people do need to stand up and are called into scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, like scholarship is, is humbling. Like the more I learn, the more I learn that I don't know. I mean, right. the field is so vast. There's so much knowledge. And so it, it just, it humbles me, um, my, my doctoral mm. work. Um, well, another, another book, talk about erudite, is um, the Galatians Commentary by Hans Dieter Betz. So I remember oh, yeah. taking this seminar on the book of Galatians with my, uh, my dissertation director, eventually, uh, Carol Stockhausen. And um, of course, we read that book. It, had, it was just a brilliant piece of scholarship, just really laying out the, the rhetorical tradition in relation to Galatians. And it mm. just was so formative for me. Of course, then I went on to write my dissertation, looking, looking at the rhetorical tradition in relation to 2 Corinthians, which, you know, I argue that it's a unity. <laughs> of course, Hans Dieter Betz, you know, believed right. it was a partition and has his own commentary on chapters eight and nine as separate letters um and that's an so, oxford monograph yeah um my uh his his was in the hermeneia series uh no it's published in cambridge you have cambridge, cambridge that's so it's, right it's, sorry it's yeah. ancient rhetoric and paul's apology so it's a, a amazon top 10 seller for the last 10 years actually no just kidding wow uh no <laughs> no it's not it doesn't sell that well but um right but it's very heavy dissertations dissertations yeah, tend don't. not to right don't yeah but um but yeah that was a very formative book just a very serious minded 
German scholar showing the importance of genre applied to Galatians. Mm. This really was eye-opening for me, uh, formative. Um, other books uh, to list would be N.T. Wright's uh, books on the, um, see, the New Testament and the people of God. Oh, yeah. And Jesus and the Victory of God, which are volumes one and two. Of course, those, that was followed up by um, the Resurrection of the Son of God. And then he's got this, you know, Paul, what is it? Uh, the, the Paul and the Faithfulness of God. So mm -hmm. this is a huge, these are huge tomes. But those first two just laid out this foundation, this broad sweeping understanding of Jesus fulfilling and entering into God's narrative of revelation and salvation history. And it just provided such a background of, of Jesus being a genius himself, you know, like knowing scriptures himself and fulfilling scriptures and uh, just the broad vision of interpretation and the sweeping understanding of history, Jewish history and, and culminating in Jesus is, was just so, has been so formative for me in my teaching mm. and uh, even in just my thinking. You know, there are things that I, you know, say that, you know, I think, oh, that's my thought. And then if I really thought about it, it's like, no, that probably goes back to N.T. Wright. Like, I'm dependent <laughs> on on his, his thinking there. Um, mm. So those would be two other books to add to that, um, to my my top well, three or four books. I, I would throw, I'll throw in another one. I um, One of my theology favorites is uh, Stanley Grin's his uh, book, The Social God and the Relational Self. And what he's doing in that volume is, is sort of giving, uh, giving sort of historical credence in a way to, to the idea of the Trinity and its development over time. Mm -hmm. So as a Trinitarian Christian, when I read that, it, was, it, it, was, it probably remains one of the most erudite mm -hmm. pieces of scholarship I've ever read. And mm -hmm. every time I, re I return to it, um, I, I only think that more and more, uh, but it's just a master class uh, of a work and uh, I would highly commend that to anyone. Uh, but he, that, that book turned me on uh, to Trinitarian thinkers like Colin Gutton and a lot of the folks who uh, have since, you know, followed in Grenz's footsteps and are doing great work on, on Trinitarian thought. So. Yeah, I'm more and more attracted to just Trinitarian thinking. I, of course, uh, from the liturgy that I'm, I participate in, the Anglican liturgy, uh, to sing the doxology. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Jürgen Moltmann too, like he, yes. he's a theologian, yeah. and just Honor. the social, the social nature of God. I mean, that right. just and and Michael, I I quoted you as teaching leaders in Brazil. Uh, on leadership of, of Jesus, but I developed this Trinitarian model of, of leadership and the insight that you shared with me, I remember just recently, in fact, I gave you credit as I was talking to them about, um, you know, so Jesus is following the father. So he's pointing people to the father, the spirit's pointing people to Jesus. So the spirit mm -hmm. represents kind of this profound humility and deference yeah. pointing people to Jesus as Lord. And, and of course, That's Jesus right. is following God. So God's providing leadership by revealing his will and setting values and terms. So Jesus then follows God and points people to God, but the spirit points people to Jesus. So yeah. 
that I really had a lot of fun just walking around that. And really, we can only be as good as leaders as we are followers of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, looking yeah. at the Trinity. Yeah, mm. very, very profound. Well, mm. thank you for tuning in to this second podcast of this first season. And uh, of course, if you have any suggestions for us, we'd love to hear from you. And we look forward to you hearing us next time. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, hey, do you have any um, oh, that's uh, right. parting thoughts? Yes, we're going to end with a parting thought. It's from Helmut Tilleke. Tell me how much you know this of the sufferings of your fellow human, and I will tell you how much you have loved them. Mm. Great. Empathy. All right. Until next time.